customers are more educated now um, and more informed. Um, things don't necessarily just need to look nice. Uh, they want to know the detail and the constructability and the longevity of your project. And they want to make sure that what they're purchasing, whether it's an individual apartment, townhouse, or whether it's a commercial building, that the longevity and the buildability of that building have been observed and documented and certified at the end of the day. Welcome to Construction Host. My name is Hudad, and I'll be speaking with influencers in the construction industry. We'll learn more about who they are, what they do, and what's their passion at work and outside work. Remember, if you like this episode, please share it with your friends and subscribe to the channel. All right, and welcome, Karen Goddard. Uh, thanks for your time. Karen, she's the National Quality Customer Service and Defects Manager for Hindmarsh Construction. Yes, in, in construction, from the construction point of view, um, we would probably, as a, as a builder, uh, developer, um, we would probably not use the word defects too many times. Um, right. Because it's always a, a negative and you know builders <laughs> builders don't want to um, build buildings with with defects but defects yeah in terms of okay. construction i you know that's that's the reactive part of my um, role regarding um quality management um i probably prefer to focus more on the proactive resp- responsibilities right. to to try and eliminate uh, and prevent defects. Absolutely. So, um, Karen, uh, obviously, we're going to talk about it in depth, hopefully, uh, about your career journey. But if you don't mind, share, where were you born and where did you grow up, Karen? I uh, was born in Australia, uh, in um, Melbourne. My, my mother um, fled Europe um, early on during the war, World War Two, uh, and she right. um, had quite probably a um, consistent, but um, certainly quite a diabolical um, childhood um, and a young adult until they immigrated to Australia. Mm. So um, her younger brother um, died of starvation, um, and um, she lost her father um, during the war as well, um, and. I think from from her experience, um, she was quite a driven um, career woman when um, she moved to um, Australia and started her career. Um, met my father, who was equally um, as sort of driven um, through his own sort of childhood, which was um, in uh, in Melbourne, but um, born to a very um, poor family and and worked hard. Um, to work his work his way up um, two jobs mm. two jobs to put him through self through university um, and then was really career focused um, together as as parents um, they were both working uh, full time when I was growing when I was growing up um, sometimes that was a 
good experience, sometimes not good. But I guess from those two genes and that gene pool, I, I certainly did get the, um, you know, the, the work hard, um, you know, sort of career focus um, that that is that's become my career as well. Were you the only child or two younger brothers? Um, our parents were were very keen on us all to go down the university degree um, road. Uh, after HSC, I I, I went through um, secondary school not not knowing what I wanted to be. Um, had no idea. Um, you know, kept, wow. kept thinking about what I could be, what I wanted to be, but nothing really stood out. Um, so I did a behavioural science degree after HSC. I didn't really want that to be a career. Um, it was, you know, it was just something that I was remotely interested in um, and none of the other degrees sort of was really of interest. Um, I did that. But to be honest, that actually gave me a pretty good grounding for, you know, being able to work with people um, and, and, and sort of understand um, you know, relationships and ha- what people do and why they do things and how they say things and behaviours, etc. Um, I didn't ever want to make it my mm. career, um, but it was, you know, it, it's been useful ever since. Although from my, you know, from my studies um, and my learning, I I've certainly can use that um, regarding recognition when I'm, you know, working with other people um, or, or in my life, um, but I certainly mm-hmm. don't take my own advice. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> that's so interesting. Yeah. What? Well, now, I was about to ask: Did you have any sort of a, I don't know, casual job or something that you did when you were a kid? Like, was it the first sort of job you call it um, that you had? I did work. Um, part-time um, at Maya in Melbourne um, on a, right. a Friday night and on a Saturday um, as, a, as a part. That's when they pay the good money, the yes, double, double as a, time yeah, as, a, as a part-time <laughs> casual job, um, you know, enough to get me my first car. Uh, and then right. when I finished uni, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and just by accident, um I there was sort of a general admin job for um, a international commercial furniture company that were one of the big um, sort of top two uh, or top three uh, international commercial and residential furniture companies in the world, and I just happened to uh, get a job um, just admin with them, um, and it ended up sort of being you know a, a career for me for quite some time. Um, as I sort of worked my way up through um, through that company into a commercial furniture um, role, uh, where I was essentially um, marketing and selling um, commercial furniture workstations um, and, and right. office furniture. Um, I worked for a couple of companies um, and then moved to Sydney and did the same thing. Had a quite a quite a good career in in commercial furniture and large contracts. Um, I started to get exposed to um, the construction industry because we were quite often novated to the um, to the builder. So I started yeah. to um, work a little bit more with um, larger construction companies um, mm-hmm. and get a bit more exposure to to sort of a building and construction generally. 
were you thinking like envisaging back then that this is a place I really want to work? I must admit I found it quite easy to hold my own and again I'm going to sort of talk about um, women in construction and and that old chestnut. Um, I, I just naturally found that I could hold my own and I I quite enjoyed the challenge of uh, rising to um, to be able to you know be seen as someone that knows what I'm talking about um, and has experience and and able to deal quite frankly with a lot of men um, because that's what the industry was and still mostly is uh, in those days. So um, it, it was sort of it was sort of a challenge, but it was a it was a challenge that really drove me to to be really interested um, and, and try and make a mark personally and professionally in, uh, right. in that industry. And then my husband and I moved to Canberra in 2006. Uh, it was the first time in my life that I didn't actually have a job. My husband was working, um, but I thought about time I probably took some time off. Um, it was quite strange to not not have a job or not, not work, um, but that didn't last very long because I um, quickly um, secured a role in in commercial furniture in Canberra. Um, again, that business um, was quite successful in securing a lot of new federal government uh, new buildings and and the commercial furniture for those buildings. In those days, um, lots of our federal departments in Canberra were building their own buildings. Uh, there was a significant amount of commercial furniture um, contracts that were available and we were quite successful in quite quite a few. So lots of the big um, federal government departments um, built and moved into their own buildings. So they were significantly large commercial furniture contracts. And we certainly were very much then part of the head contract um, with the builder. So I got to work with got to work with all of the big names in, in construction. Was Hindmarsh one of your clients too back then? They were. And in, in fact, um, you know, out of all of the builders that I worked with, um, in those days, I didn't know, you know, I didn't know any of the builders personally. They were all new to me um, in Canberra. But gosh, you know, working with Hindmarsh on a couple of projects um, certainly was was a really enjoyable experience. A really, really good bunch of people. Good experience, mm. um, you know, from a subcontractor point of view. That and that certainly then. You know, I developed some some really good relationships with some of the Hindmarsh um, project teams. Sorry, were, were you dealing with uh, project managers or was it particular roles that you were dealing with in Hindmarsh? Project managers, site managers, um, and then sort of contract managers were, were really the people that we, it's as far as sort of delivery of, of commercial furniture and, and contract management, they were, the, they were the roles that we dealt with, um, you know, day to day. Right. How, how did that then go you to work for Hindmarsh? I, um, the commercial furniture company that I worked for um, were exponentially um, grown, grow, grown in their Canberra business. Um, I had a, um, a son during a very busy couple of years uh, and I guess while I absolutely love motherhood, it was the best thing ever. Um, trying to juggle um, a, a really full-time 
role where I was managing um, the state um, commercial furniture business and uh, trying to um, be a mum to a young bub, not to mention the fact that for the first time in my life, motherhood was, was something that I hadn't done before and it was quite a quite a challenge. Um, I'd come from a career where I, I knew everything I was really comfortable to a role as a mum where I just didn't have a handbook, um, didn't know what to do. Um, I made a wise choice to to take a step back so I could spend a little bit of time with my son while he was um, quite quite small. Took some leave, not for very long, probably a couple of months, uh, and then through um, a Hindmarsh contact, I got a gig um, at Hindmarsh as a contractor doing some um, quality management on uh, a large residential project that they had um, that they were building in in Canberra and again working you know working um, with as part of the Hindmarsh project team and uh, and with the sort of developer it was a Hindmarsh development and we were building for ourselves uh, and it was back in 2000 and 12, a really large project, 351 residential apartments um, in two stages. And I was probably only one of one or two uh, women on site. There was two women in the project team, me being one of them, and then certainly on site, yeah, I think I was probably one of only two women that were. That was your first kind of experience being in a, I guess, you know, construction company, yes. yeah. and and it's obviously. I mean, I I I don't know if it's any different in general with like the furniture experience because you, you're in a sales sort of role and now you come into construction. Is it is it a different sort of culture in general? Uh yes. Is it is it a bit more daunting? Obviously, on site it, it, <laughs> dealing with lots of subcontractors. It, it is, um, you know, uh, I guess I've gone from a role where I was, you know, dealing with a, a very small or a limited number of sort of clients, stakeholders, uh, going to, you know, a construction site where there is, you know, sometimes 300 subcontractors um, on site and a, a high marsh team of, you know, anything from sort of five to, to 15 and also being, you know, being a, a woman, so being the lesser demographic, sort of being in a role um, where, you know, I need to give direction and instruction. Uh, it was a bit of a challenge to be, you know, seen and taken seriously, to be honest. But as I said, mm. I, you know, I, I naturally could sort of find that I could hold my own uh, and, and that confidence, I guess, must have come through because, um, you know, it was, a, it was a good project from a quality point of view, happy, happy customers, um, happy purchases a good project for, for Heimarsh themselves and the subcontractors um, were um, were good guys. It was a it was all round it was a it was a good project. So it was more about kind of finding your own confidence mm. and holding your ground and knowing what you're talking yeah, about. Very much so. And and what what sort of like if you want to expand a bit more, what part of the quality you were looking after? It was, you know, it was construction defects and 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 a little bit of sort of client sort of quality representation as well. So I, I literally literally would go through every apartment and common areas um, and and do a detailed defects inspection, then um, issue those defects 
list to the subcontractors or and or consultants, um, and then really manage manage that whole process through to reinspecting and closing out, making sure that the defects and compliance had been met. Uh, it was tough, long hours, as we all know in construction. Time is money, uh, and and programs have even gotten a lot shorter than in those days. It was um, it was a large build and and time pressure as well. This quality management was this something you were like you knew before joining Hindmarsh, or was it something that you'd kind of learn as you go? Like when you were at the commercial, I guess, uh, furniture business, was it some of those things that you could? use or or you had to learn something Um, completely new? I certainly had to learn uh, um, a lot more sort of technical um, details about construction uh, and methods of construction. Um, I had to learn certainly more about, you know, specific items like waterproofing, fire rating, um, compliance, um, certification, um, Australian standards, Mm. The building code, um, yeah, I, I sort of had to, you know, make sure I understood what those um, requirements were. But it, it was sort of lear- it was learning as I went as well. Mm. It was a good project to start with because, you know, it wasn't non-compliant or there wasn't a lot of um, sort of quality issues. Um, so it was a good, a good way to, okay. to learn as I went. Um, but also I did quite a lot of sort of personal learning and education on like did you get a good support from the Heimarsh team yes. was it sort of a mentor um, that helped I, you I think throughout it was, it was sort of subconscious mentoring um I I sort of managed to you know to sort of ingratiate myself to the project team um and I think they they all saw that I was there to help uh and not and part of the team and not not sort of one sort of one tier removed um, so they they really helped and they you know everybody took the time to to answer my questions discuss things with me um, make sure that you know make sure that the subcontractors you know saw me um, you know as a as a person of authority and that I you know I certainly was acting for Hindmarsh even though I myself was a subcontractor but yeah, it was a it was a really good experience, and and naturally, I, I just found myself naturally really interested, you know, in in quality management, quality control, quality assurance, you know, making sure that that we're able to you know do as we say and deliver what we you know what we promise. Yeah, and obviously, being as you said back then in a minority mm-hmm. as a woman, you obviously um, did a great job to. Then getting to their current role. So how how did that happen from a subcontractor? Then obviously it was a naturally grew uh, to the current. There was Highmarsh didn't have a dedicated um, quality sort of quality team or quality management um, resource. They saw an opportunity based on quality outcomes for that first project that I achieved with the team. That you know they could they could do even better with someone that was focused just on that area. And I certainly know that it helped that, you know, I was just naturally able to, you know, to to work with the team and the subcontractors while still being a woman. Um, they offered me a full-time role, they created a role for me, uh, and that was in terms of um, a, a sort of overall defects management um, role for the business focusing on their own residential um, projects because we build and um, develop our 
quite a lot of our own well our own residential um, projects as well as build for for others and com- and commercial and industrial projects but the residential projects were the ones that I focused on a, a builder will know that when you build a residential project you end up having hundreds of customers versus when you build a commercial building you've really only got one one building owner when it comes to residential construction you've got a whole lot of you know emotional investment um, and significant investments by by your customers so they are you know they are sensitive to manage um, versus more of a commercial project so where, where you then kind of got in touch with the buyers too like the residents I, yes certainly do right. do um purchaser inspections um and right. i do that now um just to make sure that you know what what we're hearing and the feedback that we get from um residential customers and com- and our commercial customers it's always good to check in and make sure that their experience and their expectations and outcomes are, are, are what we think that they are um particularly mm. when it comes to the current environment and the 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 media attention uh, and the New South Wales building commissioners um, the building code changes yes, and all that yeah um, that you know that's that's certainly um, what um, what a lot of people now really want to know about um, from a yeah. from a builder um, cu- customers are more educated now um, and more informed. Um, things mm. don't necessarily just need to look nice. Uh, they want to know the detail and the constructability um, and, and the right. longevity of your project and they want to make sure that, you know, that what they're purchasing, whether it's an individual apartment, townhouse, or whether it's, you know, a, uh, a commercial building, that, um, yep. that the longevity and the buildability of that building have been observed and documented um, and certified at the end of the day. So that's that was sort of that's sort of what I what I part of what I do now. Okay, so you you move into a national sort of role. Are you still only looking after just the Hindmarsh development, or looking after overseeing the whole? I guess overseeing um, the the sort of crucial and the critical quality controls of of all of our projects. And is that a team now, or is it only oh, yourself? Oh, it's a it's a team of people um we have some people on the ground that do our own sort of internal quality control audits of our own projects whether we build for someone else or whether we build for our for um, for ourselves we have put focus on the sort of particular four or five high risk construction elements we know them as waterproofing um facade um, fire safety uh, and sort of stormwater management are our, our sort of big mm-hmm. our big ticket items. They're the ones that we do concentrate on. They they would be a significant cost to the business and a, and a high risk activity. We I always like to say that even though we don't think about construction and building in t- in terms of being a bespoke product, it's not craftsmanship as such, but it's still essentially hand built. And we're mm. not like a Tesla <laughs> factory. We're not, it's not built predominantly by robots who can be programmed to not make errors and mistakes. Not yet. Not yet. No, <laughs> no. Um, so in that, in that regard, you know, lot, lots of things can go wrong. 
because mm. as humans we we make mistakes and there's a whole lot of yes. other things that can go wrong in terms of yeah being being something that's sort of built by hand even though it could be a kit of parts so you you, you made a comment earlier which i liked you, you said um uh you're trying to avoid issues happening basically mm-hmm. you don't like to say defects you want to make sure they don't happen uh and, and this is i guess part of your role mm-hmm. how how costly is it like i've read this somewhere you know 10 times more expensive to fix something mm-hmm. afterward and mm-hmm. fix the first time uh, and how important is it to understand to fix the problem in the design or documentation during the- yes um i mean it, it's it's sort of well known and this is this is a sort of very much um you know, in the in the construction safety ethos and methodology and strategy as well, is that um, you know if you can um, prevent a hazard or eliminate something, that is what you should be striving to do. Um, and that's what we that's that's the approach to our quality controls. Um, I'll, I'll put this out there. I'm not sure the the term quality assurance is is appropriate or or is actually reality um, in this day and age because assurance relies on honesty and I'm not sure that that as a as a builder and the last line of defense that we should be relying on those sorts of strategies so I, I really talk about and and develop um, strategies for the business that focus on quality controls and at, at every stage of the project so we can get to the end of the project knowing that um, we have purposely, identified and eliminated as many sort of quality and compliance risks that we that we could and also to to not overburden the actual construction team who you know have a a full a full plate anyway to to try and build faster and cheaper um which is sort of the norm um these days yeah so it's a it's a juggling act um to be able to roll out preventative and elimination uh, measures and initiatives mm-hmm. um, yes certainly from you know from from sort of tender to prelims um, to pre-construction to design um, so that at the end of the day when it gets to the actual construction stage you know we, we've done as much as we can to try and eliminate mm. and and give our construction teams something that they can actually construct without too much designing uh, and resolving on the uh, on the fly yeah which kind of get me to the point to get your comment around dnc and um i don't know it, it, it kind of I don't, maybe changing some of the builders i'm talking to now as you said they try to put their focus back on a design yes. aspect to Very remove so. all the yeah. Yep. All the all the unnecessary changes that happens during the site and mm-hmm. kind of become construct only mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but what are you thinking about it in general? Can it be beneficial to have a DNC rather than construct? I, it, it can be beneficial to, to have a DNC as long as, um, you know, the, the design part when it comes to the builders, excuse me, the builders' um, involvement, that there's an understanding that what that the things that the builder sees as still a high-risk design um, before they actually start to build it, that those designs certainly need um, to be uh, amended or agreed by by the client as such, that 
you know, it's too much of a risk for the builder and it'll be too much of a risk once once the building has been completed and that it's it's sort of owned, you know, by either an owner's corporation or by a commercial client um, that the builder would know what's what's mm-hmm. good design and what's not good design. That collaboration, I guess, in the design part really needs to happen um, and not just a not just handing the builder a a partially designed certainly for those high risk elements um, design where there is a lot of compromise for for quality and compliance mm. it really serves no one at the end and at the end of the project everybody wants to walk away from a good building and not have to go back I mean you were very right when you said the cost of fixing up a building defect once it's finished I mean it's it's more like it's well and truly you know 15 to 20 to 25 percent more than it would have cost to fix it in the first place and do it right the first time Um, and not to mention the fact that you know in in some in some jurisdictions you know there's certainly a significant um, statutory warranty to consider and also there is the litigious nature um, in some jurisdictions of, you know, of, um, of mm. you know, the sort of builder perception. And, and in New South Wales, we've got this new DNB Act and David Chandler and his crew yes. going around and checking up on construction sites, which had a very, I think, positive Agreed. impact. Some yes. people, I guess, some people... Uh, <laughs> We're, we're kind of waiting for it, didn't do anything, and then just kind of got got their project delayed because they didn't submit documents, mm-hmm. whatever that is. So, and some people are obviously happy that there's a I I um, sorry that there's a rating system he introduces well for builders. What's the uptake from Hindmarsh or your end, and what is the difference between New South Wales and Canberra? And, and is is it some some sometimes you think is going to come down there too? Um, I I believe that um, that you know that a lot of the other um, states will adopt quite a lot of the legislation that's that was um, that was relevant to New South Wales. Uh, I think some of them have not yet, but I mean even when you look at the new NCC twenty twenty two, that certainly recognised. You know a lot of the um, high risks that um, that David Chandler and the Building Commissioner and the DARPA have picked up on already. I mean, I, I personally believe that um, you know it, it's a good thing. The um, Sheer Gold Weir report um, had some good things, um, good recommendations. Um, I think a lot of good will has come out of that, and the Building Commissioner as as well. Um, we don't want to all be tarred with the same brush, um, of course. Um, Hindmarsh is known as a quality builder. That's consistently the message that I hear from our clients and and um, and customers. Why they chose us over another um, builder or developer? You know, it's very it's very close to um, the business's core values. It, Hindmarsh is still a family family owned company. Um, the Hindmarsh family's name is on the door. We can't sort of run away and and blame the builder because in a lot of cases we are the builder. And so that in that regard, the business wants wants to build good buildings and, and good projects and buildings that will last and not, you know, not not be on the news sure. for um for bad publicity. Um and we've mm. we've secured a couple of projects recently 
that I think well demonstrate the the business's commitment to to sort of quality quality outcomes, good projects, um, you know, successful projects, um, you know, cutting edge projects, mm. um, but also um, you know how how the business, um, certainly the construction business, you know, how we how we manage our subcontractors, maintain them, um, maintain good relationships with them. All those sorts of things um, are very important to Hindmarsh as well as a as a as a builder. I was wondering how how subcontractors, consultant, and supplier mm-hmm. actually can help mm-hmm. you achieve what you want to do and and create a good product. Yeah. At, the, at the end of the day, we're all trying to create a product yes. for the end yeah. user. That's that's our goal. There's still a lot of hands that go into um, designing and building a building. Hindmarsh, you know, as a as a builder. We're there to essentially manage the people that are building the building, um, having a good relationship, an amicable relationship with subcontractors and consultants certainly would be the first step to be able to get a collaborative, um, I guess, effort to, to for everybody to pull their own weight uh, and do the best that they can and, and, and design and construct um, the best product they can. We we've never been a, a, a builder that you know that has been known for treating our subcontractors and consultants, um, you know anything anything less than you know a, a part of our project team. We try and engage with our with consultants and subcontractors, especially for sort of key elements, um, relying on and inviting. Um, both of those stakeholders into into sort of early design um, and pre-construction because we we're not experts in a whole lot of elements. Um, we're not experts in waterproofing. We're not experts in painting. We're not experts in structure and facade. Um, we you know we we need um, those experts to help us make sure that what we're actually building. Will will work mm. and perform, and and be the best um, product or service that it that it can be. You would know that we've recently yes <laughs> have a, an arrangement with Julux, and I think you and I know that um, I'm milking that relationship for as much as I can get from <laughs> from from the Julux group for, uh, and obviously my interest is very much in you know the expertise that Julux can offer us. In terms of how can we, you know, how can we build our buildings better with, you know, with the products and services that we that we get from Dulux, and that that's the approach that I, you know, that I use, um, you know, certainly with some of the other high risk elements like waterproofing um, and and facade design and storm storm water uh, management certainly is another one that with the changing climate. Uh, is, is certainly you know a viable real impact um, on how our buildings are constructed and how they perform. Yeah, absolutely, and appreciate uh, uh, <laughs> the mention there. Not not many times, to be honest, builders ask us to de- do these sort of trainings. Uh, you were among a few that um, we managed to do the presentation, mm. and obviously awareness hopefully brings better quality um, products better quality systems for your project. So uh, other thing I'm wondering is, obviously you talked about this as well, quality. Your role is to 
reduce the defects, improve the quality, uh, and obviously there's a new uh, DBP Act. What else a construction industry can do, you think, to improve the experience? Um, that's a bit of a crystal ball one, but um, I guess, um, I mean, I would certainly like to see um, more women in construction. I think not just to even up that gender gap, but I, I think, and this is just from my personal experience, um, you know, having um, having a diverse um, workforce, um, you know, starting, starting, you know, even just looking at, um, you know, consultants from, you know, engineering to architectural to mechanical to sort of structure. Um, I think women in those roles um, have a, a different way and something to contribute to, to a project. You know, we, we think differently. Certainly I've found from experience over the last couple of Hindmarsh projects where there have been um, some females uh, in the consultants' roles, um, in the design roles and in the construction roles that there just seems to be magically a, a better balance that impacts on, you know, on, on the quality deliverables really. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, that women will pick up things that men miss but it just adds, you know, women... Different point of view. Yes, exactly, Udan, exactly. Um, that's a holistic um, benefit, I think, to the construction Do, do you think, sorry, looking at from outside, I mean, I'm, I know construction well as well, but looking at from outside, if you have a daughter or, 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 or let's say a, a typical young woman, should they be excited to join the construction industry and why? Uh, yes, yes and yes. Um, I think it's a, you know, uh, it's a great time to sort of get in, um, not on the ground floor, um, but getting into the lift when there is just more acceptance of mm-hmm. women, women in construction, women in trades, um, you know, women in, in sort of professional disciplines, you know, like, you know, engineering, et cetera, and, and sort of STEM. Um, yeah. STEM subjects, um, so I'm not not saying that they you know would get special treatment, but there's certainly a lot less suspicion um, yeah. about them, and I think it's part of this culture, isn't it? Part of yes. it, and, and you mentioned culture on job side is a bit different to culture in a, I guess, office or consulting firms or architectural firms, and yes, I mean obviously you get a lot of. In Sydney, at least, traffic controllers, you find 90% of them are girls for yes. whatever reason. <laughs> that, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's the part they kind of got. But yeah. when you yeah. actually walk into a site, I see a lot more, actually, CAs and engineers come up mm-hmm. from universities. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it creates a, you mentioned it very well, it creates a balance. It kind of feels right. It's like you go it to does. a family, yes. you don't want to all just see men. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah, I, I think it also helps with, you know, you, you have to sort of remember that, you know, that projects, you know, while we're building faster, you know, so, some large projects can, you know, in the construction phase can last for, you know, three years and an average, you know, residential build might be 16 months, something along those lines. That's a lot of time to spend with the same people. Um, mm. you know, day after day, um, and you tend to, you know, you, you tends to be a sort of little microcosm of, you know, of humanity. Um, mm. And uh, I, I think 
you know, you if you have a, a consultative, collaborative, um, you know, amicable working relationship with all of those people, you naturally find that 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 there's an improvement in everything that's that's sort of done and produced. Mm. And yeah, that's that's by adding as much, I think, diversity. It, it, it's not only just women, I guess. It's more having that diverse background yes. of people with experiences, mm. even yeah. different countries. So, and I think hopefully the industry going that way. There's this few people that loudly speak here, like the likes of Alison Miriam from Roberts yes. Co. That she's you know advocate, and she's mm. pushing even for. <laughs> I mean they're already doing it i think five days a week working and mm-hmm. i think certain areas for um women and women in job sites and I, f- I feel like she's done it she's done an amazing job <laughs> to to yes. push push this um uh fear way uh i guess from women to join this industry which is you know highly paid good yes. uh could be a very good uh way for women to have a good fair share of their uh, household um, expenses paid yes. and, and yep. contribution, yeah. and and have a say like, hey, you know, I manage men on the job side, I manage women on the job side. There shouldn't yeah. be a difference, I, th- I think. And we're getting there. We hopefully we are. Getting- I, I I completely agree, and I see that when I go out on sites. Um, you know, as I said, my own experience in early in my career in construction was probably the exception. Um, mm. And you know, I, I certainly went out there um, with a with a great deal of confidence, and and possibly that that sort of came across. So I didn't really leave myself open to to sort of hearing, you know, sort of any of the any of the comments. I you know, I, I sort of got a few, but you know, they weren't they weren't diabolical by any means, and I you know, mm. it wasn't it wasn't something I look back on as being you know a really terrible experience. Um, that might you know that if it had been that might have changed my my career but it was a it was a good experience um and it was in the very early days um of you know being an absolute minority in in construction um but it certainly has made me uh, i guess uh, from a practical point of view when earlier on I t- talked about you know the quality controls and measures that we as a business um implement um, that time on on site um, in those early days, and and what I see now makes me more cognizant about you know the the measures that we um, require and that we mandate mm. for 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 this business. They need to be you know they need to make sure that they don't overburden um, our project teams, uh, and that they are sort of focused on on where the business you know needs to be. Um, mm. We certainly look at lessons learned, most certainly. Um, yeah. And a lot of a lot of our quality um, management is now focused on, as I said, trying to uh, eliminate or de-risk and sort of mitigate risks um, in the design phase. So when it comes to the construct phase, we we are not sort of designing and 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 doing the CND mm. um, during during that phase. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of reminds me um, of a little slide I think David Chandler showed in one of the conferences I've been. He showed some blueprint from Roman Empire blueprint of a building that had more 
and more more details around yes. uh, waterproofing than some of the recent days, and it was very much so. It was I could, funny, yeah. yeah I could well, I could well imagine, and uh, you know, we're we're probably you know one of many builders that um, you know that that get given very very poor detailed um, drawings um, and specifications to be mm. able to you know to be able to go and build that very quickly and yeah. and and on budget as well yeah hopefully that's changing too and architects i guess picking up the game together with consultants um, I, i've already started to see that most certainly mm. um, certainly okay. i talked to quite a few of our of a sort of you know waterproofing experts and consultants uh, and I'm very happy to hear that they are reporting back that that you know they are getting uh, getting architects contact them wanting mm. to wanting to know um, more about good practice waterproofing um, mm. good waterproofing design no, which, no which, more which copy paste mm-hmm. no more copy exactly. pasters <laughs> yes. um, hey I I, I want to touch on another topic which is becoming more and more um, popular I guess these days. It's around sustainability, circular economy. Mm. Uh, we hear about this uh, quite a lot. And, well, just recently we, we were together starting this Project Earth and one of your projects. But in general, what, what's, um, what do you think about sustainability? What comes to your mind and how, how much a construction can do um, to basically improve that? You know, quality and sustainability are, are good bedfellows. Um, Generally, they complement each other. Um, I, I know that, you know, construction, um, you know, is a polluter um, and most certainly not, not, very, not very green, um, but wanting, wanting to be greener and, and wanting to, to build better with less impact on the world um, not, and not just to be a good corporate, corporate citizen, but because it just, you know, it makes sort of holistic economic sense and support sort of environmental initiatives that previously have, you know, been either not, um, sort of not, not accepted um, by the construction industry or those that, you know, have just been focused on, you know, what, what's the cheapest way yep. and and generally the cheapest way is the most polluting way you know sustainability tends to lend itself to be a bit more of an effort to start with but I, I think only because we're just all used to doing it that way we certainly as a as a business at Hindmarsh we we have really started to look seriously at um, our environmental footprint and and measures and what we do I guess having Project Earth partnership with with Dulux um for the first time on one of our on one of our sites, has demonstrated that the business you know is is serious about what we what we can do in in small steps. But it's certainly something that we we look at more seriously in our tendering and obviously our, you know our client base. Um, mm. That's that's um, becoming more and more of a requirement to to be able to show and demonstrate your sustainable and environmental credentials. I think that that's one of the topics um, even David Chandler <laughs> talks about, and he talks about it when he goes to the site. 
one of the first things he looks at after he looks at the toilet, obviously, he goes and look at the look at the skipping and the condition of that and, and the certain products that they use and the way the way they dispose things and um kind of started too. sustainability for me at least is being a good citizen being a being a good human we produce a lot of waste uh and and we produce a lot of it and we kind of put it in the bin and we put it in a recycling bin and we kind of think it's going to go back to you know something new which most probably most of them don't Agreed. We yeah. we 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 buy carbon offsets from, you know, like buying buying basically points by paying money, and planting trees in other countries or doing like basically buying the carbon offset rather than actually demonstrating a, a, a circular circularity. Um, so I think well in that in that aspect I think Project Earth is something that is kind of new recycling the plastic drums from the job site and making a new roller trays and selling them. Um, but the biggest polluter, I think, of construction is uh, concrete, cement. Yes. And, and uh, I don't know where, where is that going to go. I, I, I don't know. Is, do you think it's more awareness by the clients too, like people, like the buyers? Are they more aware? Certainly. I mean, uh, you know, sustainability and environment and, and being green, um, you know, is I, I think most people have a better understanding and awareness of it in, in any kind of purchase, um, you know, particularly if it's a significant purchase like an apartment um, um, or a building um, and that product products that help manage waste or eliminate waste, um, you know, in from sort of go to woe or from its sort of life cycle, I think have more of a emotional benefit or, or make a make a decision better or, or easier to make if yep. there is if you've ticked all of the boxes including um, environmental or sustainability. I think that from a construction industry point of view, I think being green or, or having some green part of your project is is certainly something that clients expect and are willing to pay for if it is, um, you know, if it is something that that adds that much value, but it mm. costs a bit more. I don't think there's an immediate dismissal of mm. of those sorts of options anymore. Um, so you know, some states and, and government work require um, significant. Um, environmental and sustainable measures to be met mm. during the construction project. We're doing a couple of a couple of those ourselves. Um, yep. I, I certainly can't forecast what what might come of the construction industry when it comes to you know as you mentioned the the amount of concrete mm. that um, that we're we're filling the world up with. You know that's probably a significant challenge. I you know I applaud that. Builders and clients alike, you know, are very much willing and accepting to, you know, to sort of start off um, with a few little, small things such as mm. uh, environmental sort of, you know, washout um, services, things like Project Earth, which is an exceptionally, you know, good story um, from, from go to woe, um, reducing, you know, reducing the amount of um, liquid waste in in construction, you know, when you look at the statistics, is 
is really diabolical. Um, the amount of, you know, water and waste. Uh, there's a significant yes. amount of cost savings that that builders can achieve there. You know, even though that technology is still quite young, um, and it tends to be expensive. You know, in the long run, um, as a commercial decision, certainly Hindmarsh have gone down that road as well. That it's it's better for us to to do the right thing, to try and do the right thing to start with. Leave a planet better for the next generation. Yes, hopefully. <laughs> Although I, I recently saw something about um, environmental concrete, and that was that um, there was a project overseas that were um, they were um, mixing. Can't remember what the product was, but it was something along the lines of it was cardboard or paper um, in their concrete mix, um, and there was a significant amount of it uh, in their concrete mix. And it actually, don't ask me to be technical here, but somehow it actually made the concrete stronger than you know than had it not been added and had it just been a straight concrete mix. It was fairly amazing and very uplifting. Right. And Europe normally is at the forefront of this, and mm. I've attended a few of these uh, seminars around circularity and circular economy. They're talking about, you know, how even the design for circularity, meaning yes. how can I design this building so then next time you want to demolish it, you can reuse a lot yes. of the material, mm-hmm. a lot of the concrete, a lot of the tiles, and obviously the folk, massive focus is on saving energy, how to, mm-hmm. you know, insulate certain areas, how to distribute heat how to do all that being smart making smart buildings yes and it's all coming um and hopefully companies like Heimash say there will be a, a frontier and that like uh, taking up these new um initiatives which you are already you're the first builder in canberra we have the project earth <laughs> but i was wondering i mean construction industry facing lots of challenges at the minute there's an increased cost of uh, material, massive shortage of skilled laborers, and, you know, interest rates are going high and high, and, you know, same story in the U.S., and probably even worse there. How does it affecting your construction, I guess, uh, decision-making, and how do you like us to come out of this? I know that, um, you know, as a, as a reaction to, you know, the skill shortages and materials um, shortages, um, you know, and the sort of subcontractor availability and the pressures that sort of subcontractors are are under from their end as well, and from their from running their own businesses. Um, we have done things like we we sort of have a fast track procurement um, process now, um, where you know we've sort of shortcut um, some of the um, engagement processes and procedures to to be able to. Get subcontractors on board uh, and and signed up quicker than um, than we did, um, without compromising you know any of the um, sort of usual um, checks and balances that we do. Um, so we have a fast track procurement process now that seems to be working quite well. And as I said earlier, we're not a business that um, you know we we try to work collaboratively with our um, subcontractors and consultants, we, we're we very much cognizant of developing and maintaining good working relationships with with, um, with subcontractors. Um, it's not just all about, you know, the, yeah. the tender value uh, and, and the contract terms. Um, we are running some uh, contractor, subcontractor events 
where it's right. just a casual, casual, informal, you know, lunch, afternoon, um, sort of food and drinks events to, you know, to, to demonstrate um, and, and build up that relationship that's not just based on, on contract terms. And materials-wise, I think, I think the business has sort of now found that most of our, most of our clients certainly, you know, are well aware of the materials and supply um, increases and impact cost impacts, and that you know early, early on, sort of just after COVID, um, it, it was a challenge to be able to justify and demonstrate price increases that um, that were not captured within within a contract. But clients, I think now are much more understanding in terms of seeing us as being genuine and qualified contract values that change, um, as well as, uh, you know, the impact of climate change on our projects as well. Yeah, so they, they're more happy to help you with, the, with yes. the increases. You probably have the similar approaches, basically, what you said with your subcontractors, if they're struggling and they, um, I don't know, they, they're now facing, because a lot of these contracts were let two years ago, three years exactly ago. Exactly right, yeah. And now yeah. they're kind of facing a massive challenge, Um yeah, so it will be interesting to see, mm. hopefully, industry, I mean, survive and become better after this. That's, that's that's how I see it. You go through these tough times and come out better. I think it could also be, a, you know, an opportunity for sort of natural attrition, if you like, in that, um, you know, businesses that are not doing good things uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and are not, not a good business, um, you know, Possibly won't won't survive, and the the better businesses um, all round mm. are the ones that um, that will work their way through it. Yep, that's right. Okay, uh, we talked about lots of things, um, yeah. and and lastly, I'm just wondering um, what's <laughs> what's some of the things you 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 do outside work, Karen, when you get time and spend time on over the weekend. Gosh, Huda, that's an interesting question. And if I was honest, I'd probably <laughs> say not a lot of hobbies. Um, but I love my job. Um, I love what I do. And, yes. you know, and I naturally, you know, that fills up a fair bit of my time. But outside of that, I try to be a keen cyclist. And, right. and li- living in Canberra, obviously, I've got my pick of cycle paths, cycling uh, places to go. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was younger, I did fall madly in love with um, um, road racing, um, but that was that was uh, in Sydney when I certainly didn't have a significant um, family commitment. Um, mm. But I do certainly quite like cycling. So on weekends, right. I try and um, get some cycling in. It's actually a, it's a, it's an enforced quiet time for me as well, and I guess some of that physical activity helps sort of balance and manage some sort of stresses and frustrations, as well mm-hmm. as keep keep fit and healthy. Although cycling okay. in Canberra in winter is not one of my favourite things, but Canberra is a great place to live, and it's been very good to us. So that's. You know that's okay, and I've survived another winter coming into spring, which is <laughs> which is a good a good thing. Your any of your listeners that um, are in construction, 
um, that that yep. know what it's like to to build in Canberra in the winter. Um, I think we all have um, a great respect for steel fixers um, in winter in Canberra who are out there at 5am in minus three using their hands and fixing fixing cold steel. It's um, not a career that I yeah. could do, but I have a great respect for, um, yes. for those for that steel um, fixers, that job, steel fixers, yes. And apart apart from that, weekends go really quickly for us. So yeah, a, a bit of exercise, bike riding, um, a, a walk, a walk mm-hmm. here and there, and then you know you you just you just fill up the rest of the time with sort of life admin, um, and, and work. The chores, the cooking, all yeah. that, the washing. Cleaning. I'm I'm not a cook. Um, for some reason, cooking just didn't stick with me. Um, my husband is, which is which is good. I have a repertoire of a four or five meals that I can do very well. Um, and in fact mm-hmm. that's probably my that's probably my personal um, mantra or ethos is that, you know, I you know, I can I can do a few things really well, not a whole lot of things. What what is your favorite that you make very well? Oh um gosh, I have a couple, um, shepherd's pie, spaghetti, right. bol- spaghetti bolognese. They're, they're my two absolute favourites and, and from scratch. Wow. That, that's, yeah, that's, that's I mean, awesome. You can't, that's you awesome. can't beat a good spag bowl. You can't go wrong. During COVID, we, um, we, were, we managed to get a half-decent veggie patch going in our backyard and um, cherry tomatoes grew out of control. In fact, I, I had to pull out some of the tomato plants because they were going so well they were going so well despite you know despite us um because we're not really green thumbs that was a success story through covid uh, you you had a lot of pastas with cherry tomatoes we had a lot of cherry tomato everything to be honest um we just yeah they just grew exponentially i I don't even know to this day why because as i said they're not green thumbs (laughs) And and we weren't out there every day tending them, but they just grew. Just um, grew. They just grew. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Karen, um, I've, I've asked a lot of questions. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that I didn't mention or didn't say? Oh, of course. Look, thank you for the opportunity. You know, people that know me know that I love to talk about um, my my job. Yes. And And what I do. Um, because I I love my job and I'm naturally quite passionate about it and that passion comes out. Comes through, um, yeah. I certainly, you know, as you've said, um, you know, I, I want to be a good citizen um, and help Hind Marsh be a good corporate citizen in terms of good quality outcomes that are good, good environmental outcomes, good for the earth, good for the business, good for the customer. Good for the industry. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a it's a great time to work in construction as a woman or or as a man um, or anybody else. You know, it's it's accepting diversity. You know, it's it's a hot topic, but it's a good topic. Um, yep. And it's going to make the industry better, certainly in terms of you know the new legislation uh, and the media attention around construction. I also believe that that's that's going to have more benefits than than it would hmm. negatively impact 
the the industry and and the COVID challenges. You know, while I can't control them, construction survived, and I think it will. You know, also probably help businesses do better and and be better, having having come through those COVID challenges as well. Very well, and I'm I'm sure you provide a good example for a lot of the women that want to be successful in this industry. Well. Thanks, Karen. That was uh, quite a pleasant chatting with you and uh, talking about lots of things. Uh, Thank you, but, Dan. Yeah. It was nice to chat to you too. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Until next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. See you next time. Mm-hmm.